Hello, and welcome to What If at the College of Charleston. This is a podcast where together we imagine intersectional feminist futures by centering the work of local activists here in our very own college community. As a forewarning, today's episode mentions briefly themes of transphobia and suicide. I'm your host, Marissa Haynes of CFC's Women's and Gender Studies program. And I'm here today launching our very first episode with special guest and senior student activist, Denver Tanner. Denver is a political science major with minors in studio art and women's and gender studies. They are the inaugural recipient of the Kentner Crunel LGBTQ endowed scholarship and are involved in many other leadership programs on campus, including the Humanities and Social Sciences LEAP program, which provides mentorship and reallocates resources to minority students. They have been a tutor and student assistant through the REACH program at the college for nearly four years now. And today they are joining us to talk about their path to social justice activism, their experiences as a trans activist and the future of LGBTQ plus activism. Wow. <laughs> Hi Marissa, it's great to be with you today. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, yeah. I want to give you an opportunity first to speak a bit about um, what's been on your social justice radar. So I've been keeping up with the news lately, and I've unfortunately been tracking how trans women in sports have had some serious debates recently, especially with the college athlete. And it's pretty sad, but, you know, we're, we're going to keep supporting that community as we can. Yeah, I mean, there's a bill right now, not to take you off, off too much, but I'm sure you know about the Save Women's Sports Bill uh, that's going through the House of, in South Carolina right now that would um, make it so that trans students can't participate in athletic sports that align with their gender identity. Um, and that's a little bit of the, the work that you do, right? The work you do is for and um, uh, in support of the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, it is. I work with the two student College of Charleston organizations, PRISM and Trans Student Alliance, and we'll actually be hosting an event for the Charleston LGBT community March 31st. It'll be at the College of Charleston, the Stern Student Gardens, 4 to 6.30, and anyone is welcome to come attend. We'll have some games, cupcakes, and prizes, so come on out, and we're going to celebrate our queer community. And that's um, for Trans Visibility Day, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So tell me, why is an event like this so important for, for Trans Visibility Day and for the overall cause? What a great question. Well, it's really important because the trans community in particular does not necessarily get all the love and support it deserves within the queer community, especially here in Charleston. Um, LGBT youth, we know that the trans demographic is the highest to be at risk for homelessness within this area, and there's not really any outreach programs directed towards that issue, so that's one major reason. Another is, is we deserve to be celebrated, and we deserve to be happy, so I just want to make that um, a public statement, especially with the support of the college. That's amazing. So that's next, so that's on Thursday, the 31st of March? Yes, 4 to 6.30 in the Stern Student Gardens at the College of Charleston. All right. Um, hopefully, hopefully you have a great turnout for that. I have no doubt that you Thank will. you so much. Um, so what did your journey to feminist social justice activism look like? Um, in the words of scholar um, Sarah Ahmed, she says, um, when did feminism find you? 
Was it something that just always made sense to you? No, it's not. Feminism used to be something I looked at as a kid and a young person that, I don't know, it had kind of dirty lens to it. You know, the angry feminist, the angry woman, the bra burning, that kind of stuff. And as I came into my college career, I realized that that's really not feminism at all. In fact, it's in our everyday lives and present. But my first journey into women and gender studies was through tutoring with the REACH program. I taught a class there, and that's actually when I learned about intersectionality in Kimberly Crenshaw. And the following semester, I had the chance to go study abroad in Trujillo, Spain. And I took a course comparing the lives of American and Spanish women. And that was really interesting, learning how feminism can affect a culture and a whole country at large. And as my journey through college continued and I became more comfortable with my own identity as a non-binary lesbian, I found feminism playing a vital role in my everyday life just through my identity and existing. Wow. Okay. So Spain, that's amazing. Did you go with the intention of exploring these kinds of identities, these kinds of feminist intersectional issues, or did it just kind of happen upon you? Well, I did sign up for the course before I left, so I had some idea, but my main objective traveling was probably to enjoy the wine and cheese. Mm, Okay. That's something that's obviously, we know, very important, being able to explore the different demographics and the way that they may experience oppression similarly or differently than than we do. Um, I'm wondering, like, how has your upbringing informed your approach to women's and gender studies, to social justice activism? Yeah, so I had a very conservative upbringing. I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is a little town on the foothills of the mountains, almost in North Carolina. And um, like I said, very conservative, not the most supportive of any kind of LGBT um, activism or identity. So Growing up, I really had to push my true identity down, and it's only recently as I've become more safe within myself through therapy and healing my inner child that I've noticed how my my person is a part of feminism, a part of activism, and a part of the trans identity. Yes, I'm like preach over here because so true. I mean, healing your inner child, if everyone took that time to really not just give recognition to, but to really hold that inner child, um, especially queer people, especially those who are facing oppression in their everyday walk. It's, it's amazing to be able to hold on to that, that little person and, and the growth that can happen, I think, within a society when we all do that is, is exponential. Absolutely. Because especially with the queer demographic, we have, you know, some of the highest risks for mental illness, for suicide, and we need to be able to love ourselves and nurture each other. Absolutely. I mean, I know I read in um, Forbes magazine in 2020, that 94% of LGBTQ youth reported that recent politics negatively impacted their mental health. 90, that's, a, that's basically 100%. Right? Yes, I know all of my friends who identify within that group, which I mean, pretty much all of us, right? Right. <laughs> um, have really struggled with that recently. Yeah. And 52% of LGBTQ youth have seriously considered suicide, which is and should be treated as a national crisis. That's yes, serious. it should. 
And if we break that down by race, you know, we find that young queer people of color are, are at an even higher risk for suicide. And, you know, what is our government doing about it? They're actively adding legislation that will only make things worse for this youth. And queer youth is, you know, they're paying attention. You know, we spoke a little bit about some of the bills that are under consideration in the House right now. Um, there's House Bill 4047 that would make it a felony for medical professionals to provide transition-related and just and um, gender-affirming care to transgender minors. And being convicted of it could result in 20-year prison sentence. Like, I feel yeah. like we're going back in time. Yes, that is absolutely insane. Um, I personally could not imagine dealing with something like that. I mean, I was a advocate for sports in high school and middle school. I played basketball and I wasn't out at the time, but only because I didn't feel safe to. And something like this would just completely expound that feeling. One of my childhood best friends, their sibling is queer and thankfully they are safe enough to come out within their middle school. But something like this would completely erase your ability to celebrate themselves and be physically active and be happy. Yeah. And I think that same bill would require teachers, like elementary school teachers, high school teachers, to inform parents of transgender kids in their classes if they felt that they weren't out to their parents or if for some reason their parents didn't know, they would be legally bounded to out them. Yes, and that is terrifying. I mean, that sounds like something out of an apocalypse movie or a children's book that's meant to scare you. I don't want to live in that reality. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, this show, What If, it stands for Intersectional Feminist Futures, right? Seeing that now, this idea of looking into the future so that a younger generation can live something that maybe we can't. And that's, that's what activism has looked like for generations. Generations of oppressed people have imagined and worked for a future that they themselves might not be able to live. So let's imagine a future where we don't have to tell someone, hey, let's make it visible that trans people deserve, I don't know, love and deserve appreciation, <laughs> right? What does, yes. what does the future look like where maybe your activism, it's no longer necessary? Yes, yes, I know exactly what you mean, because right now I think about how happy I am with my current partner, and I frequently think, you know, if I would have existed 50 years ago, my relationship wouldn't be what it is today. Like, I wouldn't feel safe in myself to do it. So just to acknowledge, yes, absolutely, the generations before us have worked so hard to get us to where we are today, and um, I'm very thankful for that. But when I imagine a future, I would like to see a place where we're no longer valuing um, masculinity in society in the sense that the feminine values of caring for each other and nurturing one another and, you know, productivity and capitalism aren't the main goals. I think a society like that is when we're going to actually flourish as queer people and be able to help one another personally i would love to have a small farm somewhere with a group of people where we just get to eat naturally all the time and make art so what a dream thank you you're a women's and gender studies minor right i am how do you feel like the classes that you've taken or the work that you've done has um prepared you for the life that that you dream of 
I think it definitely has. The college has provided me so many great opportunities. Um, I'm actually this year joining the gardening club. So we're circling back to the learning how to grow your own food with that one. But academically, one of my favorite projects was my anarchy capstone with Dr. McGinnis for my political science end of the year project. I wrote a thesis paper called Be Gay, Do Crime, an analysis of queer anarchy. Okay, wow, love that. Queer anarchy. Can you expand on that? (laughs) Yes, definitely. So queer anarchy, that is in essence studying how your identity as a gay person or a trans person is an act um, of rebellion against the state. So for example, in my research for this paper, I learned that the city of Charleston back in the 17th century used to outlaw dressing of an opposite sex, which obviously is transphobic inherently, but even racist as it dates back to origins and not allowing people of a different socioeconomic class to dress um, as if they were wealthier. Wow. And I love that too, because what you're talking about is that just being and walking in life is activism, right? Like walking and existing as a queer person in and of itself is activism. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what does it mean to be an activist? What does it take to be an activist? What a great question, because if you asked me that a couple weeks ago, I would have said, oh, I don't know, I'm not an activist. But now that I sit here and have this dialogue with you and think about my college um, experiences and what motivates me every day, I realize to be an activist, you really just have to care about something. You have to have an identity with something and a passion. And I think activism is much simpler than we conceive it to be. And it really can be a part of your everyday life, just like women and gender studies. I completely agree. I think the way that you admit to that imposter syndrome of I'm not an activist, you know, those people are activists, but I'm not an activist. And then maybe it takes someone else telling you the impact that you've had on others to be seen as activism. And while we're on the topic of imposter syndrome, I have personally fallen into the black hole of imposter syndrome. I think that you and I have talked about this. It's something that, you know, no one's immune to it, right? But to no. me, it's not productive. What, what good does it do for you? What good does it do for the cause, you know, that you are trying to fight for? Nobody, Nothing. there's, there, right, exactly. There's no progression. No, and I think that a lot of queer people do struggle with imposter syndrome because, you know, I know RuPaul might be canceled these days, but I'll always think about the drag race quote that, you know, your inner saboteur is your worst enemy because this negative voice in your head where you aren't good enough, especially as a trans person feeling that you're not valid just to exist in society Um, that, you know, you should stay in your house all day because you don't pass, you know, these really negative feelings that I think a lot of people can relate to. They do nothing but hold us back. And that's not to invalidate experiencing, experiencing them. It's to say that we have to overcome it by loving ourselves and each other. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, you know, before our show, comes to an end I want to talk about maybe what's next for you after graduation right yes I'll be graduating May 6th yes there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel you can just (laughs) barely see it um you know what's next for you how will and will activism stay at the center of your work 
Absolutely. Activism is going to be even more at the center of my work now because I'm transitioning from working with, um, you know, students that I love and care for to my community that I'm going to be a part of. And I'm hoping to either work with the College of Charleston or with AmeriCorps. Um, either role will be kind of nonprofit based and outreach based. I'm also going to be working towards my master's in public administration at the College of Charleston. Awesome. Thank you. Amazing. Good luck. Yeah. Um, Before we close, I want to do a little exercise for you. In the spirit of researcher, uh, professor, and author Brene Brown, we're going to do a little lightning round, a little Q&A. Don't think about it. Just first thing comes to your head. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Strong black coffee. Okay. Imagine your bedside table. Tell me one thing on it. Extra toasted Cheez-Its. They are so good. Highly addictive. (laughs) Um, Okay, one song on repeat for the rest of your life. What is it? Um, Running Up That Hill. I love that. Who's that by? I think Meg Myers. All right. What is something that people get wrong about you? Usually my pronouns. I get she, her frequently, and I prefer they, them pronouns. Right. And last but certainly not least, what is the best part of being you? Um, Waking up every day and deciding to be myself and getting to be happy in my own body, which is a goal I think is much harder to accomplish than people give themselves credit for. Amazing. Thank you, Denver, for sharing your knowledge and, and your love in this space for us. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Please join Denver on Thursday, March 31st in celebrating our CFC trans community at Trans Visibility Day in Stern Center Garden from 4 to 6.30 p.m. For more information about how to block South Carolina's anti-LGBTQ legislation, you can visit SouthCarolinaUnited.org or call your local representative. This has been WGS What If at CFC. Thank you for spending time with us today and for supporting the Women's and Gender Studies program at the College of Charleston. For future episodes, visit the college's official news site, The College Today, at today.cfc.edu. Or keep up with us on WGS Connect at blogs.cfc.edu slash WGS Connect and our Instagram at CFCWGS. Tune in next time to hear about what social justice activism can look like post-graduation with one of our very own Women's and Gender Studies alumni, Reagan Williams, class of 2020. Stay feminist, y'all.